the Lord for the impact that he's had over the years and the different meetings that God has allowed him to be in. Uh, he has been in evangelism, you think you said, for over 25 years now? My goodness, that's hard to believe. You're, as I said earlier, he's, you know, for being so young, it's hard to believe. Uh, oh, that was not intended as fun there. But anyway, uh, but uh, for being, just for me, it's hard to believe that he's, uh, been out that long, but the Lord has really used him uh, in many, many places around our country in so many different ways and uh, tremendous meetings, and we're just so thankful for his influence. He's been such an encouragement to us. So, Brother Young, you come. Great to have you with us here tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Take your Bibles, please. Find Galatians chapter 5. Would you do so? Galatians chapter 5. It's been a lovely day, hasn't it? Wonderful day. It's cold out there. I miss home in Florida, but I'm surviving. I'm in Galatians chapter 5. So glad to see you all tonight. How many of you worked hard today? I know a lot of you came in. Let me see, Ray, it's okay. How many worked hard today, did you? How many made a ton of money? No hands. That's really sad. Really sad. Well, try to stay awake. I know you've had a busy day. And uh, you do your best to stay awake. I'll do my best to be interesting. If I see you getting a little sleepy, we'll sing my favorite song. If you're happy and you know it, slap your neighbor. <laughs> so I'll get you awake if I can. But uh, what a blessing to be with you. I bring you greetings from my sweetheart, my best friend, my favorite person in all the world. And uh, Bethy Joy and I have uh, been married 26 years now. God's been so good to us. And I'm really, really sorry. I'm always out of place when she's not with me. And she's not able to be here this week, but I'm certainly bringing her greetings to you. And I, I have five wonderful children. God's been so good to us. Abby and Joshua are married now, and Matthew's in Bible college, and Jacob is 16 years old, and Charity is 11, and uh, we are so very blessed. I'm a wealthy man. Did y'all know that? Just a wealthy man. God's so good to me. And I've enjoyed being again at Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry. I'm a little worried about y'all. It's been four years since I've been here, and I came back this time, and pastor's half the man he used to be. Uh, I, I was shocked. He's lost so much weight, I didn't know who he was. And uh, I thought, wow. And uh, then I was a little concerned, because my first meal here, he took me out to a vegan restaurant. I, uh, he had tofu for lunch. I was, I was concerned for him. Uh, I, I, I'm praying harder for y'all now. And then I saw on your screens that they're taking out the pews and putting in chairs. I'm just concerned. I'm telling you, <laughs> something's wrong here. I'm praying real hard for Pastor and for y'all. We really need revival around here, don't we? <laughs> I'm just telling you. What a blessing to serve you guys and to be with you. And I'm in Galatians 5. You that weren't with us this morning, doing a little series here this morning. I propose this morning that you cannot go wrong resting and rejoicing in the power of the work of Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong. Uh, that's how you get saved. His righteousness, not yours, not your ability, not your strength, not your works. And we rest in Him. That's our assurance. It's not what we do. I'm not saved because I'm a good man or a religious man, but by the righteousness of our Savior Jesus Christ. You know, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And none of us are. That's why we can't go. But there is one who is perfect, and His name is Jesus Christ. And because he died for our sins, through him we can be forgiven. you believe that? And because he was raised from the dead, through him we can have life. Everlasting life, eternal life, abundant life, joyful life, 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 life. 
And that's all available through Jesus Christ. And in the church at Galatia, they're having a problem because the gospel was under attack. Uh, there was a struggle in the church to add to the gospel. Yes, we're saved, but if we did this, we would be more saved. And it was confusing the gospel. It was wrecking the gospel. And so Paul is addressing it. And Galatians 5 is one of those very powerful chapters in the book. And I'll begin reading in verse 1 tonight. I talked this morning on the work of Christ in Galatians 5. And I want to talk to you tonight on the experience of failure in Galatians 5. Would you read that in mind as I read? Would you meditate for a moment on the failure addressed in this passage? You know that word, don't you? Failure. You're familiar with it, aren't you? Notice their experience. Verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Now I'm going to stop right there. In the morning I will pick up with that verse in uh, the session where I'll speak tomorrow, I want to talk to you tonight on the experience of failure in Galatians 5. Father, grant me wisdom and discernment and an understanding heart and speak to us tonight through your word. Have your way in this hour. Open our hearts and our, our minds and our eyes to the truths that you want us to see in this text. And I pray, Lord, that all of us will recognize the failure that was in the church here in Galatia and I pray that you'll help all of us to examine our own lives in light of this failure. And I pray tonight there will be genuine revival in our hearts. That we'll obey, that we'll heed your word, that we'll make application to right where we live. I pray these things tonight in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Now how many of you are familiar with failure? Go ahead and wave your hand at me, are you? Uh, what's your biggest failure? Now, you know, some failures are bigger than others, and sometimes failures can be humorous. I, I read an article recently about a man who was concerned about his grandfather, so he texted his friend and said to his friend, pray for my grandpa, we expect him to die, but we're praying he will recover. His friend sent a text back, intending to say, 
I hope he does. But instead, he hit an I instead of an O. And he sent his friend back a text, I hope he dies. Now that was a colossal failure, don't you think? I've never had one quite that bad, but I wrote my sons the other day a group text. I have Joshua and Matthew and Jacob, and I sent my sons a group text, and I said, hey, sons, and wrote them a text, and I went back to look at it, and somehow I had switched the O and the I, and I said, hey, sins, and I thought, that's not what I mean to say. That was a little bit of a failure. Some of my failures are bigger than others, just like yours. Have you ever failed to observe the speed limit? And gotten a friendly reminder? Anybody, any, anybody in the building? I, uh, I, I've had one of those in my life. That was enough. Years ago, I was traveling for Pensacola Christian College with an ensemble. And as newly married, and, and you know this, don't you? I'm a nice guy. Do you all know that? Uh, I really am. I'm, I'm easy to get along with. I, I rarely get bent out of shape about things too much. And I was traveling with an ensemble. And just before I left on the road to go with this ensemble... They called my wife and myself into an office, and uh, my wife and me, and they said, uh, hey, uh, we, we got a little bit of a problem, but we think it's going to be okay because we think you can handle it. And, you know, we're all ears. What's the problem? They said, well, the one guy in your group has just announced to us that he's not coming back to college. He's done. He's leaving college. He's not interested in coming back, but uh, we need him. We're going to have to either cancel this whole group or, or have him go out, and he's agreed to go out, and he's not going to make a big issue, he's not going to make it a problem, but you're going to be traveling with a guy that is not planning to come back to college, and we just want you to be aware of that, and don't let it become a problem. And you know, really it wasn't until like the last two weeks of the summer, and the last two weeks of the summer, he started using that against me as the leader, and he'd say things to me like, you know, I don't have to do that, I don't have to do that, I'm not going back to college. Give me demerits, doesn't matter to me, I'm not going back. You can't touch me. He kept saying that to me. Well, y'all know I'm a Tennessean, right? <laughs> and y'all have heard of like the Kentucky Hatfields and McCoys. You know about those. Well, there's a little bit of that kind of blood in my heart, I think. And, and I, you know, I kind of let it go and I kept reasoning with him. And uh, one night I hadn't, you know, I, I, I can make all kinds of excuses. I hadn't slept well the night before. It'd been a busy summer. And, um, and we're at this church and, and it was hot. It was Arizona and it was hot. I mean, it was, it was like 116 degrees and it was just brutal. And this particular church, the air conditioning wasn't working real well. And we were going to sing in this service. And it wasn't even a big church. And it wasn't a big crowd. And so the guy's like, no, do you think we could tonight maybe, maybe just go without our coats and ties? It's hot. Well, I, I just want you all to know, I, uh, I, 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 I've always had this problem about, I mean, I'm over the top. This is the rule, then we're going to do it. This is the rule, we're going to do it. And the rule was you had to wear a coat and tie to sing in a church in the ensemble. So the guy said, can we go without it? It's hot, it's hot. Can we go without a coat and tie? And I said, no, we're going to wear a coat and tie you know, because we're representing the Lord and we're representing Pensacola Christian College. We're going to wear a coat and tie. And you know what he said to me, this kid that's not good? He said, well, you can't make me. You can't make me. And I don't know why this happened, but I, it was a little bit of a failure in my life. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, it just rubbed me the wrong way. You can't make me. I said, you want to bet? And he wasn't a very big guy, so it's not really necessarily that impressive. But I picked him up, and I put him up against the wall, and I shook the daylights out of him. And I said, you will put that tie on, or I will kill you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and I just shook the daylights. I mean, I, 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 was just, I was just mad. I grabbed him. I can't believe I did. I grabbed, picked him up, put him against the wall. You're going to wear that tie, or I will kill you. And... Uh, 
And, and what clued me in that I'd probably gone too far was when I sat him down and turned around and uh, there was my wife and the piano player and two other girls and they were all like, whoosh, they were, they were all in tears and, and they were all just standing there staring at me. Needless to say, it wasn't necessarily our finest night of ministry in a church. It was a colossal failure on my part. Uh, unfortunately, I know about them. And it's true, some failures in our life, we chuckle about them, we look back at them, and we laugh at them. I even saw a, a meme the other day that said, my goal, my goal for 2019 was to lose 10 pounds. And then it said, praise God, I only got 15 to go. <laughs> now that's a, that's a pretty, pretty lousy failure in a lot of people's lives. But here's, here's what I noticed as I studied Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, Paul addresses more than, than several failures here. Uh, in fact, if you were to just walk through the chapter with me, you would probably notice in verse 1, he points out that there was a failing to stand fast in their liberty. If you drop down to verse 7, there's no doubt about it, they are failing to run well. When you get, and I'm, I'm even, I can make stronger cases in between these. But in verse 15, there seems to be a failure to serve others by love. And there's no doubt about it. When you get in the ending of the chapter, they're failing to walk in the Spirit. They're failing to be led of the Spirit. They are failing to live in the Spirit. And where I ended reading tonight, they are failing to destroy the works of the flesh. There's a lot of failure in this church. He's addressing these issues. So the two things I want to show you tonight is number one, their failure, and number two, their need. All right? Number one, their failure. And, and I won't go through all of those tonight, but let's start in verse one. Can you not see in verse one that Paul is writing to say to them, you are failing to stand fast in the liberty you have in Jesus Christ. Can you all see that or not? Does that make sense? He writes to them here. He said, look, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What he's trying to say to them is, you're failing here in this area and you better stop and think about it and you better straighten some failure out in your life. Now, what we, uh, what we realize in studying this text is the issue of the text is whether they were going to depend on the gospel for their salvation and their power and their victory or whether they were going to depend on their works for their salvation and their power and their victory. That really is the heart. Uh, our generation de debates it and discusses it as, you know, well, it's about whether or not you dress a certain way or listen to a certain kind of music. And it has applications to that end. But the fact of the matter is, the whole heart of the matter is, here were people in a local church that were struggling with the issue of whether or not Jesus Christ was enough, not only to save you, but to give you the victory you needed to live the Christian life. Is Jesus enough or not? C can you see that in the text? They were failing here. Can you believe they would fail in that area? How in the world would a church fail to believe that Jesus Christ was enough to save you? Now, you, you, you think about that. Is that not like, are, are you kidding me? How, how can you miss that? It, it, it'd be like saying this. You know what? I know you got saved. Praise God Jesus saved you. But you know what? If you would just add, and in their statement, an awkward word, but their statement, if you would just add circumcision, you'd be more saved. That makes no sense, does it? Are you kidding me? You mean I, I'm, I'm saved on my way to heaven, but if I list it, if I did, I'd be more saved? 
And what's Paul writing there? He said, don't you understand? That won't make a difference in your life. Jesus is the only one who can save. It's his righteousness and his righteousness alone that saves. They were failing. They were failing to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ had made them free. Y'all with me so far? Are you, am I making sense here? All right, now follow this. Because in the application, is it not obvious that they're, they're discussing the issue? Can I add to Christ anything that will make me more righteous? That's what they're discussing. And you know what? I'm convinced in my own life that's been an issue. In my own life, that's been an issue. I know that you're saved through Jesus Christ. I know there's no other way you can be saved. You've got to be perfect to go to heaven. And I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and that's why none of us can go. But there is a perfect Savior, and he died in our place, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And if I trust in him, I'm saved, period. I trust in him, I'm saved. Period. You, you could say amen to that. If I trust in him, I'm saved. Period. You believe that? Nothing else will save. So I can get baptized. That won't get me any more saved because I was saved the moment I trusted Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I was saved that moment. The night I got saved was January the 19th, 1986. I was 15 years old. I was a sophomore in a public high school and Brother Leslie Arwood led me to Jesus Christ in the front seat of his car. I will tell you, there's a lot more that I know tonight. There's a lot more that I understand tonight. I'm way farther down the road tonight than I was in 1986 on a Sunday night when I got saved. But I will tell you, I'm just as saved tonight as I was then, and I was just as saved then as I am tonight. Because it's not me, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It applies in other ways. I will tell you that there were many years in my life that I thought I was more righteous than others because I had standards others didn't have. I just want to know something. Of course I'm better Christian than they are. Because look what I do. The Bible calls that self-righteousness. That's a real issue for us. If you're not careful, you can come to the place where you think, well, you know what, the church down the road, they, you know, they're saved. God, God loved their little hearts. They're saved. But the fact of the matter is, they're not like us. And if they were more like us, they would, they would, they would be more righteous too. But you do know, don't you, that you're righteous because of Jesus. It's him. It's him. You know, you can have all the dress standards in the world, but it won't make you more righteous. You are righteous because of Jesus, not because of a standard. I'm righteous in Christ. He's even going to say here in a moment something that makes us nervous, doesn't he? He's even going to say here in a moment, he's going to say, uh, don't you know you have liberty? He's going to say that. Let me ask you a question. Do you have liberty or not? Come on, talk to me. Do you have liberty or not? All right. Do you, realize, do you realize that you could even have liberty to grow a beard? Do, do you realize that? I, I know people that will grow a beard. They have liberty to grow a beard. I know people that would never take that liberty. Not on your life. My dad being one of them. When I first grew a beard, my dad, in all sincerity, said to me, why would you have a beard? Don't you know Jesus didn't have a beard? And I did a double take because I thought he was joking. But he was serious. My dad does not believe that Jesus had a beard. I don't know how they plucked it. I, I, I honestly don't. But my dad was raised in a denomination that taught him people did not have a beard. Jesus did not. I don't understand that. But uh, I have liberty to grow a beard. I actually grew a beard for two reasons. One, uh, I'm having a midlife crisis and can't afford a Harley. And since I can't afford a Harley, I needed something to help my midlife crisis. So I grew facial hair. And this really, really the issue was I grew it on vacation and my wife liked it. Hey, hey, if my wife liked it, I'm keeping it. Come on, baby. She likes it, people. 
and my mother-in-law hated it. If that's not a win-win, you tell me what is. My wife loves it. Mom-in-law hates it. This is a win-win. I'm keeping it. Now, here's the whole point. The whole point is I have the liberty. I have the liberty. I'm free. But you know what he's going to say here later in the text? He's going to say to us later in this text, yes, you have liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh. In other words, God doesn't give my liberty so that I can do whatever I want to do. It's not why he gives me liberty at all. It's not, about, it's not about my flesh. It's about, I, can, I can do, You can't tell me what to do. I have liberty. It's not what it's about. It's about the fact that I'm free. And the fact of the matter is that nothing that I ever do will make me more righteous. I am righteous because of a perfect Savior named Jesus Christ. And what he did is enough to save me and to deliver me and to set me free. I'm a child of God. I am clean in the sight of Almighty God. I always will be clean in the sight of Almighty God. And it will never be me. I can be more holy than I am now, but I am still as righteous as I will ever be because it's Jesus Christ that makes me righteous and not what I do. Are you understanding what he's trying to say right here? How easy it is for me and you that are on the more strict side of fundamentalism if we're not cautious to come to a place where we begin thinking, well, you know what, I, I'll bet you right now, I'm more spiritual than the rest of my family because they don't go to Baptist College of Ministry. They go to some liberal institution. And we can name whatever you want to name. It's easy for us to think that way, isn't it? Well, you know what, I'm telling you right now, the rest of my family, my sister, bless her heart, she, I know she's probably saved, she's probably saved, but she doesn't have my standards. I'm more righteous than she is. Not if she's saved. You may be more holy than she is, but righteousness is based on Jesus Christ and not you in this text. you got to get a hold of that. It's a failure when you and I begin to think, you know what, I'm more pleasing to God because I'm, I'm better than the rest of the people in my family. I just want you to know right now, God, God I'm going to get to heaven and, and there's going to be greater righteousness on my account because look what I do. And what Paul is saying right here is that's a failure. Because righteousness is in Christ. you gotta, you got to get that tonight. Righteousness is in Jesus Christ. It's a glorious truth. When I went to Bible college, I came out of a very strict family. We were, we were like ultra strict. We didn't have a TV. Um, we, we didn't think folks who had TVs were saved. Um, we, uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't do nothing. Forgive the grammar. We didn't do nothing. I mean, we didn't do, we, we, we were like, we didn't have a Christmas tree because that was Baal worship. Uh, we, uh, we, we, did, we didn't celebrate Easter because that was an, an egg, having an Easter egg hunt. I'm just telling you, that was ungodly. And I've been in more than one service where my dad walked out. We go to church one morning, went to church one morning, and we get in. And we, I'm surprised we even stayed because they had a, a group that was singing that morning. And they had a lot of instruments on the platform. And uh, uh, Brother Van Gelderen, when the group, we stayed, the group get up to sing, when they got up to sing, one of the guys had long hair. And I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it wasn't like horrible, but it, it, by our standards, you know, if it touched your ear, you were probably not on your way to heaven. And, 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 and this guy had long hair and he gets up to sing. My dad saw him walking on the platform and I remember, let's go, let's go. And I remember as a kid, we all marched out of the, out of the church. Well, I went to Pensacola Christian College, and I remember getting to Pensacola Christian College, and I had roommates that were like, can you believe this place? It is so strict around here. And quite frankly, I felt like I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, compared to how I was raised, this is freedom. I'm just telling you, it was the most amazing thing in the world. But, you know, I honestly had the idea that I was more pleasing to God than anybody else because there were things I didn't do, and there were things I did do. Surely I'm righteous. Look how righteous I am. I, I, was, I was so, I mean, I, I, 
I almost left my freshman year of college. You don't know why? I honestly almost resigned and walked out because when I got to college, I, I had to take a PE class. And they had a uniform for PE. Guys had a PE class. Girls had their own PE class. It was only guys, but they had a uniform. You had to wear shorts. The uniform was a white T-shirt and a white pair of shorts. And uh, I wouldn't wear them. And I would see the dean of men. And I said, I just wanted you to know, I can't, I can't wear the PE uniform. And, 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 and he, he said, well, if you're going to go to PE, you have to. And uh, I almost left the college over. Because honestly, that's what I thought. These people, these people can't be right with God. Look at the way they dress for PE. What is wrong with these people? I'm righteous. They're not. But I just want you to know it was a happy day in my life when I realized based on the teaching of Galatians 5 and other passages, I am righteous in the sight of Almighty God simply based on the fact that there's a perfect Savior named Jesus Christ who did for me what I can't do for myself. And I'm telling you, understand that it'll change your life. I'm free. I'm saved by, by God's grace. I don't add more to it by the standards I have in my life. I, I'm as righteous as I can be by the power of Jesus Christ. And how many of you agree that Jesus Christ is enough? You, you can't add to that. I'm not going to heaven because of what I do. I, I'm not saved and, and spiritual because of what I do. It's because of him. He did it all. He died for me. He was buried for me. If you go to heaven this morning or tonight and you look on the record books of heaven, you will find out that Dave Young, according to the record of heaven, is a perfect man. Isn't that what justified means? To be declared righteous. You're looking at a righteous man. I am perfect in the sight of Almighty God. That's an incredible truth. And there was a failure in this church. Watch it in these first few verses because they were failing to stand fast in this liberty. Jesus had made them free because he had done everything necessary for them to be declared righteous. How many of y'all can see that tonight? Can you? There's a second failure. And that is in verse 7. They were failing to run well. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In other words, you did run well, but you now are not. Doesn't that describe some of us in this room tonight? We did run well, but we're not tonight. I just made a list like this. Um, there was a time some of you ran well in your devotional life, or your prayer life, or your purity, or your growing, or your joy or your victory, or your marriage, or your parenting. You did run well, but you're not tonight. And he says to this church at Galatia, what's wrong with you? There was a time you were running well, and something's happened. What was it in their life? In their life, the hindrance was false teaching and theological debate. They had an issue with false teaching, and because of that, they weren't running well. But what would it be in my life, in yours? For us, it's often busyness, isn't it? For us, it's often busyness. The reason some of you are lousy dads, by that meaning, you're not the dads you ought to be. You know, I discovered in our family conferences that a broken home and a busy home can often have the same result. A broken home and a busy home can have the same result. A dad that's so busy never has time to pray with his kids and to listen to their heart. Dads, you're going to fail. You're not running well. When you and I are so busy in the habits of life that devotions are routine, we got to get it done so we can get stuff done in our life that's really important. And the fact of the matter is we're not running well. It's easy to fail. Don't, don't all of us sometimes get there to where we know the importance of God's Word, but we're busy. 
For them, it was theological issues and theological debate. But for some of us, it's as simple as busyness or discouragement. Some of you are discouraged tonight because there was a time you were really walking with God. And you believed God and you pursued God and you prayed about things. But something's happened in your life and your heart's discouraged about issues in your life tonight. And the fact of the matter is you're not running well because of it. Or maybe it's your defeat. Maybe you're still battling a besetting sin and, and the fact is you're not running well because that defeat is hindering you. Or it might just be the simple issue of unbelief. It's don't believe. Doubt. I know God's called me to the ministry, but I don't think I can. It's, it's an unbelief in your life or pride. Now that's a big one for a Bible college. Because of what I read in the New Testament, I read in the book of Corinthians that knowledge, you know the next few words, knowledge puffeth up. Isn't that a good picture? Can you, can you demonstrate that facially? Knowledge puffeth up. It's kind of a weird picture, isn't it? But the point is pride. You know, there's something wrong in my life when I get a few years of college under my belt and I feel like I have all the answers. Now I can criticize everybody. Well, then I'm not running well. I'm not running well when my life is full of debate and discussion and dissension and I'm unhappy and I can tell you what's wrong with everybody else, but I can't tell you what's wrong with me. I'm talking tonight about the failure of Galatians 5. Are y'all with me? You look at me kind of seriously. You're making me nervous. Are, are we okay? So we're talking about failure tonight. So they, they failed to stand fast in liberty. They failed to run well. And notice in verse 13, they failed to serve others by love. Now, now catch this. I don't want to be too long tonight, but notice what happens here. He says in the 13th verse, Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Liberty is not given to you so you can do whatever you want to do. God gives you liberty so with all the freedom of your Christianity, you have the ability now to serve others by love. Liberty is not about me and what I can do. It's about others and how I can serve them. Can you see that in the text? That's what liberty's all about. It's what can, I, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to love you? What can I do to encourage you? By love, serve, one. That's what liberty's all about. He says that very clearly. How many of you agree that people can irritate the daylights out of you? Come on, how many of y'all agree with that? Is that not true? People can rub you the wrong way, can't they? I mean, I, I, sometimes, sometimes, you know, people are just the greatest thing in the world. And then sometimes they're just really annoying. But you know what I'm called to do as a child of God? To love people. And with the freedom I have in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he's placed on my account by the power of his death, his burial and resurrection, I'm to live my life serving others. Doesn't that show up as important in the home? You know what, husbands? I, sometimes I meet husbands and they're kind of redneckish. Now, and we're okay with rednecks. In our ministry, we don't judge people by the color of their neck. <laughs> we're, we're okay with rednecks. But sometimes I meet guys like, oh, I'm going to be the leader of this home. Woman, tell you what, this is what we're going to do. That's not how Jesus tells us to lead our home. We're to lead by love. It's a simple truth because the fact of the matter is, uh, he tells us to love, number one, to temper your leadership to be like Jesus. But number two, he tells you to lead by love because your wife has to follow you. You're to be tempered by love. Yeah, you're the leader, but you're to do it by love. Every husband in this room is to be known by his love in his marriage. He's to love his wife. He leads his home by love. I love you. You're more important than I am. I defer to you. I honor you. I prefer you. I forbear you. It's all about love. It shows up in a home. That's why I have Christian liberty, so I can love my wife the way I'm supposed to. I, I, and she has, think about it. Aren't you glad he tells you to love your wife? Wouldn't you hate to have to follow you? 
And she has to. Some of you guys have a hard time leading yourselves, let alone your wife. And yet she has to follow you. That ought to cause you to pray real hard. God help me to be the man I ought to be to love my wife the way Christ loved his church. He says right here in the text that they were called to liberty, not so they could live it up and do whatever they wanted to do, but so by love they could serve one another. That sure shows up in a marriage. A wife who serves her husband, and a husband who serves his wife, and it even shows up in how you students treat your parents. We just came off the holidays and most of you were home. Let me ask you a question. Were you a blessing? You're a Baptist College of Ministry student. Why, you, you've learned a lot these years you've been here. You've learned how to pray, learned how to be a soul winner. You've learned theological truth, and you've learned about the Christ life. And I don't mean this to be mean, but some of you went home at Christmas time, and can I just say it? You were a flat-out failure. You weren't a blessing to your parents. You didn't serve. You slipped back into old habits. You're a child of God, and you failed. Just like them. They're failing to love and to serve others by love. Some of you, it's your siblings. You spent the holidays at home with siblings and really you didn't do anything to impact their lives. I remember my daughter, I guess I saw that in, in, in living color a little bit when my daughter came home. I don't know what year she was in college, but she came home from Bible college for Christmas and and, and our Matthew is going through kind of a challenging time, and he was struggling a little bit. And, uh, and I, I had mentioned it to my daughter, and she had said to me, you know, what's wrong with Matt? Because he was discouraged about a few things, and he was down. And I told my daughter, you know, what he was discouraged about and some things we were working on and helping him to grow through some times. And God was working in his heart, but it was a growing time. And how many of you know that growing times can be painful? How many of you are aware of that? He's really growing. It's a, it's a growing time. It's a painful time for him in some areas, and he's learning some lessons. And, and, you know, some of your kids learn lessons by your teaching and by your rebuke, and some have to learn some lessons the hard way. And he was our kid that had this knack for learning the hard way. And so he's learning a lesson. And I came down the hallway one day after my daughter came home, and she was in his bedroom, and she's on the floor, and he's down there sitting beside her, and they're both sitting beside her, and she had her Bible open. And, and I, I, I didn't, you know, didn't want to stay there too long and stare and, and interrupt this moment, but it did kind of catch me off guard because she, she's, she's his sister, but she was kind of preaching to him. She had her Bible like this, and she was like. And I was like, go, girl. <laughs> I went around the corner and said, help her, Lord. Fill her with your spirit and give him, you know, help him here. But see, what she do? she's trying to be a blessing to her brother, serving others by love. How about those you share rooms with here on Baptist College of Ministry campus. Do you serve others by love? Or do they rub you the wrong way? People, people are what life's all about, you know. And we're saved here. One of the failures of the church was they weren't standing fast in their liberty. And they were adding all of this stuff, thinking, if I do this, I'll be more righteous and I'll be more saved. And, and, and he's trying to say, no, no, don't you know Jesus is enough? And he did it all. And that's all you need is Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That's righteousness. That's eternal life. That's abundant life. Jesus, 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 he's enough. Can I get an amen there? 
They were failing to run well. My goodness, they, they should have been really going. This was the church at Galatia, but they weren't running well and something was hindering them, just like in our lives, and they were failing to serve others by love. And I will talk to you in the morning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save the, the, the passage down here later till in the morning, but you will find in the text, they were failing to destroy the works of the flesh. How many of you agree that there is failure in Galatians 5? Can y'all see that tonight? Y'all with me? Uh, then I wanna show you their need. Now, what's the point of their need? The, the need can be summed up in one word. One word. You know what their need is? Revival. That's all they need. Is a re, they need a revival. Here are good people. There's no doubt they're saved. When he says to them in the text, he says, you know, this little text up here about uh, you have fallen from grace. Uh, he, he's not saying to them, uh, you've lost your salvation because he's making it clear that that's, that's, that's not the issue of this text at all. The issue of this text at all is they're confused about whether or not adding circumcision to Jesus Christ will make them more saved than they already were. And you know the answer to that because you are born again, Bible-living Baptist people at Falls Baptist Church. Well, you don't add anything to Jesus Christ. He's enough. You say amen, don't you? He's enough. You know the answer to that. But they were confused about it. They needed revival. They weren't running well. They needed revival. They were failing to serve others by love. They needed revival. They were failing to destroy the works of the flesh. They needed revival. You say, okay, Brother Young, well then what do you do to get revival? Two things I've learned in the text. Number one, you can return. What's he calling them to do? Return to the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried and was raised from the dead and he's enough. You believe on Jesus Christ, you're as saved as you'll ever be. You are declared righteous in the sight of Almighty God and the record books of heaven. Your sins are gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. He takes them all away and replaces your record with his record, the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. You're a child of God and you're saved as much as you ever will be and that is shouting ground all the way to glory land. Y'all with me on that? So you can return to the gospel. Get your eyes off the issues of your life and get your eyes on the gospel. Jesus Christ died for my sins, was buried, was raised from the dead, and I'm saved, and I'm free, and I am telling you, that is righteousness, and that is the kind of righteousness that will count for all of eternity. You can return to the gospel. In the text, you can return to serving others by love. You know what we need in our revival this week? We need to get focused on others. God, you put me in this room not to have my needs met, but to serve my roommates by love. My siblings, Lord... I wish they were better. I wish they were different. You can say whatever you want to say. But the fact of the matter is, God gave you the siblings you have so you can serve them by love. Your mom and dad, you're old enough now, you college students, you're old enough now that you ought to be beyond the training years into the friendship years. That, that, that's, that's where it ought to be. There comes a point, you know, when you're younger, your mom and dad, they're, 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 they're really disciplining you and working on you, and then they're teaching you and teaching you, and then they're training you and discipling you, and there comes a point in which you ought to be transitioning into an adult who's developing a friendship with your mom and dad. And some of you are still selfish. You're focused on yourself, and you still don't have a relationship with mom and dad. It's, it's, it's time you grow up and start serving your parents by love. They've done a lot for you. See, my mom and dad, they're, they're not everything they ought to be. Well, I got bad news for you. None of us are. I wish I were a better parent. I wish I made less mistakes. Praise God for grace. Praise God for it. Your parents may not be everything they ought to be, but you know you're called by God to serve them by love. How are you doing? You husbands are called of God to serve your wife by love. How are you doing? 
You wives are called by God to partner with your husband and serve him by love. How are you doing? You got any neighbors? You serve any neighbors by love? I mean, are you, are you serving others by love? My wife and I got convicted about this over the holidays. And uh, we've talked to all of our neighbors about Jesus. But we wanted to do more. And so we decided over the holidays we were going to open our home one night and do a, a, a neighborhood open house at our house. So I went to all of my neighbors, knocked on their doors, and I said, hey, uh, Monday night from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, our house is open. We're going to have cookies and, and some desserts and coffee and hot chocolate, and we want all of our neighbors to come, and we just want you to just show up, just show up. We have 22 neighbors on our street from the, the dead end to the stop sign, 22 neighbors. 16 of them came. It was absolutely awesome. It was incredible. They came in, sat around our table, and uh, they're not us, and we're not them, and they don't all believe what I believe. And yet, you know what? We had a, we had a really good time serving our neighbors. But, and some of our neighbors are less desirous than others. Is that okay to say? You know, like, like they're pagans? You know what I mean with that? I'm careful about that word because I said that in a church in Michigan. I said, you know, some of your neighbors are pagans. And this one guy, out loud, Sunday morning, said, easy now, our last names are pagans. <laughs> like, all right, so every time I say that, I'm like, there could be somebody, Mr. and Mrs. Pagan here. But, but it's not their last names. It's their lifestyle. Their son is in jail and their daughter just got arrested and, and they're raising a grandson and he's angry and and I mean, the family's a mess. It's an absolute mess. I, when I went down to knock on their door, I stood on the porch and nobody was there, but all the lights were on in the house. I thought nobody lived there. Standing on the door, looking through the window, this place looks abandoned. It looks like somebody went through and destroyed it. But they lived there. They came to our party. They came down to our party. It was an open door. Their daughter's in jail and she's got a little girl and she's got six kids, and three of the kids went back to live with respective fathers now that mom's in jail, and the grandparents have adopted the son. And he, he's at my house a lot. We're really working on him. He just recently professed faith in Christ, and we're thrilled about that. But they got a little girl, and she's like four, and she was a mess. She's dirty. Her clothes are dirty. Her hair's all matted. She had lipstick everywhere like she had drawn pictures on her face with lipstick. She said to my, my wife's, my wife's uh, nuts about clean. Any of you ladies like that? I mean, like, we have a clean house. I mean, it's like clean. My kids, they're like, you know, like, Mom, my, my wife's so, but you make your bed. You get out of your bed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, you make it, okay? <laughs> I mean, she's, she's over the top clean, all right? And so this little girl, so girl says to my wife, she comes into our house and, and you know, the candles are lit, it's beautifully decorated. She said to my wife, where do you live? My wife says, she's four. I, I live here. She goes, oh, wow. And she said to my wife, can I be your friend? So my wife now wants to adopt her. And... So badly so that I even checked into it, but they won't let me because I travel. So it's, it's not, so we have friends in our church that are actually checking into this little girl. I, I just, what, what do you do in the world? You serve people by love. You impact their lives by love. How are you doing? What's he trying, here's the need, revival. 
You can return. Had I preached on the works of the flesh down here, I would say tonight that he's only telling us to return to God and to the gospel and to serving others by love. But I would say to you tonight, he's trying to say to us, some of us need to return to the cemetery. Because you know what you do about the works of the flesh? You die to them. You mortify the works of the flesh. I'll, I'll preach on that in the morning. I heard an African-American preacher the other day, and he preached a sermon entitled, There Ain't No Sin in the Cemetery. Now, that's good. It's good. If I could sing the way he sings when he preaches, I would have preached that sermon tonight. It was good stuff. And if I thought I could get an organ going, I might preach it anyway. There's no sin in the cemetery. Some of you, it's been a long time since you died. Since you died to your pride and your selfishness. And he's telling them they need revival. You, you can return. The last thing I want to show, show you in the text. You want to have revival? Then you got to run. You can run. Now that little phrase is simple. You did run well. What hindered you that you should not obey the truth. Why are you a child of God and you were doing so well and you're not doing well now? What happened? And the only thing I know to say is it like this. They stopped running. Now here's what I discovered. Some months ago, well, several years ago, I decided to memorize Psalm 119. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and uh, quite frankly, I failed. But I got most of the way, and I got a lot of the way, and I learned more than, than I'd learned in a long time. I got a lot of verses in Psalm 119. And as I was reading the verse here in our text, uh, verse 7, ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? It reminded me of the section in Psalm 119, that's Daleth, beginning in verse 25. Let me read this section, I'll close in just a moment. My soul cleaveth unto the dust, quicken thou me according to thy word. How many of you agree that we need the word of God to wake us up and give us life? You all agree with that? So he says, quicken thou me. Then he says, I have declared my ways, and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes. Then he says, make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me thy law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck unto thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. Now listen to the last verse. I will run the way of thy commandments. I will run the way of thy commandments. The verse over here says, you were running pretty well, but you're not now. You need revival in your life. And Psalm 119 says, I will run the way of thy commandments. It's a loaded psalm. I, I ought to preach on it sometime because he prays here that the Lord would quicken him. He prays that the Lord would strengthen him. He prays that the Lord would remove from him the things that are wrong. He asks God for a lot right here, but then he makes some commitments to God. And his commitments to God go like this. He says to the Lord, I, I've declared my ways. God, I just want you to know that I'm going to please you. I haven't been running well, but I'm going to get started. And I haven't been serving my family well, but I'm going to get started. And I need your help, Jesus. I know I'm saved. On my way to heaven, you did it all. And your word here tells me that I need to walk in your spirit. And I'm a failure and I can't do it. And I need to get back to you. And I need to get busy. And I need your help so I can do what you've called me to do. And what you want me to do as a Christian. I need revival. You see how simple that is? He, he, he says, declare your way. How long has it been since you declared a way? Our family, we have, we have family meetings. And family meetings begin sometimes like this. Say, hey guys, 
kids, we need to have a family meeting. And I said to my kids not long ago, when you have a family meeting, I've been praying about something. And my Jacob goes, oh, no. <laughs> he goes, what do we have to give up now? <laughs> well, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'd been talking to God about some things. Lord, is there any area in my life where I'm not pleasing to you? Is there an area of my heart, my home, it's just not everything it ought to be? Because if it's not, Lord, I want it to be. God had showed me some things. They weren't huge. I, I, I don't even like to say them because some people would think, you know, well, that's kind of dumb. It wasn't dumb to me. Because I'd been in the presence of God and had a message from God that we needed to make a change or two in a few areas of our life. And I met with my kids and declared my way. It's our way. How long has it been since you declared? When's the last time you said to somebody, you know, I've really struggled in my purity, but I've asked the Spirit of God to fill me, and I just want you to know I'm on the right path, and I plan to be on the right path in 2020. He said, I've declared my ways. He goes on, and he says things like this down here. He says, I will talk of thy wondrous works. I will talk of thy wondrous works. I'm going to get running the way. How long has it been since you and your wife talked of God's works? Well, how long has it been since you, my wife's going through a hard time right now physically. She's struggling with some pretty, pretty interesting physical issues. And, and, and it's part of the reason she's not traveling right now. But on top of that, my, my, my sweet mother-in-law is, is battling bone cancer. And my, my father-in-law is already in heaven. And that was recent. And now mom's not well. And all things being equal. And lest God would do a miracle, this is probably her sickness unto death. And that's really hard on my wife. She's close to her mom. She loves her mom. She's close to her. And, and one of the things we've tried to do during this battle is talk a lot of his wondrous words. As sad as we are that mom is suffering a little bit right now, uh, we rejoice that my wife had a wonderful Christian family. My goodness, her daddy. What in the world? What a godly man. I miss him calling me. Called me every week. And I'm not even joking. He called me every week to tell me that I was a great evangelist. I miss those calls. Feel free to call me if you want to. <laughs> he'd call me and he'd say, son, how you doing? And I learned so much. He called me one night and, and I was down. And, and, and I was down because we had, had we'd poured our heart in it. We'd driven miles to get to revival. And the offering was a little lousy and nothing happened. Well, I shouldn't say nothing. We only had one little boy saved in the children's meeting. Nobody responded to my preaching. I don't even think they liked me. It was a lousy meeting. We had one little boy saved. So I called, dad called me. How you doing, son? Oh, I'm okay, dad. What's up, son? Well, you know, the revival was okay. I mean, I preached and, and you know, we, they, they gave us an offering. It wasn't great, but we survived and we're fine. But nothing happened. I said, well, you know, I had one little boy saved. I remember my dad-in-law. Oh, he said, isn't that wonderful? One little boy got saved? Woo, praise God. You know, Jesus died for one little boy. He said, you know, there was a kid named Samuel, and when he was a little boy, God called him to the ministry and changed the whole country. Maybe Brother Dave, last week, son, last week, that little boy got saved. He's the man God's going to use to bring revival to America. By that time I hung up, I thought I was a great evangelist again. <laughs> and he always closed his conversations, and Dad would say to me, he would say, uh, all right, son, I give you permission to soundly kiss my daughter. <laughs> and I would hang up and say to my wife, come here, baby doll, I have a message from your daddy. And uh, that was our running joke because he said that to me all the time. Well, you know, here's the deal. She's going through a hard time. But you know what we've been doing? We've been talking about his wondrous words. 
God gave Bethany and me both good families. I can praise God for that. And I'm not everything ought to be, but praise God, my daughter's serving the Lord with a godly man, and my son's serving the Lord with a godly wife. And I, I just, I'm just telling you, I can stand here all night and tell you that my God's a good God. I'm running the way. I'm back on the track. I get discouraged sometimes, but Lord, you're so good. I'm going to start running again. I want to go all out for you. I want to be a soul winner. I want to get my prayers answered. I want to have your joy in my life. I want victory in my heart. I want to be pure. I want to have a godly home. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly dad. And I can't. You know I'm a failure, Lord. But your word right here says that you've declared me righteous through the power of Jesus Christ. And in spite of all the failure, I can return to you again. And I can get running the way again. And you'll fill me with your spirit and enable me and empower me to do it. If that's not shouting ground, you tell me what is. So here's their need. They needed revival, just like me and you, as we start a new year. God, where is it in my life that I'm not running well? Because I want to return to you, and I want to run the way. I want to run. I could preach all night, and I got to stop. I, I want to run the way. I want to run the way. I want to get going for God. I want Jesus first in my life. I want to have a prayer life. I, I want to be everything God wants me to be. I want to be as holy as I can be. I, I want my life to be clean. God, I want to run the way. Am I making sense tonight or not? The question tonight you've got to address is this. All right, Lord, here we are in this particular conference, this spiritual awakening conference, and the question tonight is simply this. How am I doing? Are any failures in my life? There's failures all over the church in Galatia. Any failure in my life? And a more important question is, okay, Lord, what am I going to do about it? I want you to do two things tonight. I want to ask you to consider the failures of your life no matter how small or how big or how significant or seemingly insignificant it may be, I want you to think of the area where you would say, that's probably where I'm failing or that is where I'm failing. Okay, I want you to do that first. Then I want you to pray about it by yourself for a moment. But before you leave the building, I want to request, would you pray about it with somebody else? Would you just find a brother, a sister, a friend and just be honest enough tonight to say, hey, I'm just going to tell you that I'm not very loving in my home and I'm sure ashamed of that. But I want to run well. In our, in our, in our room, with the kids here on the campus, I, I'm not a real good roommate. I'm a little bit of a jerk and I'm ashamed of that. But I want to run well. I'm not even really close to my mom and dad, but I wish I were. And I want to run well this year. And what we're going to learn as we keep going in Galatians is that you have a blessed Holy Spirit in your life that can fill you with his strength, his power, and live the life of Jesus through you as you obey and accomplish his purpose in your life. If you'll let him. Would you bow your heads for prayer and think about your failure? I've talked to God about mine this afternoon. How about yours? How many of you will pray about a failure in your life? Will you? Then do so. Pray about a failure in your life. It's time to go. We won't be long. Pray about a failure in your life. Maybe it's tiny, but you recognize that there's an area where I'm not right there with God like I ought to be. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it.
And then I'm going to urge you tonight, in a moment the pianist is going to play, I'm going to ask you to stand. When the pianist plays and I ask you to stand, would you be willing to close the building, the service tonight in this building by praying with someone? Would you do that? Let's stand together across the room. 